Yo, welcome back to another episode of Goddess Talks with me, Elise 5000. And today, I want to talk about how attachment causes unhappiness. You know what I mean? Attachment leads to suffering. And this idea is, it's from Zen Buddhism. Attachment, clinging, desiring. So the things that we believe will make us happy are actually the things that make us suffer because it's the attachment to it. And it's a form of resistance. Attachment is a form of resistance. And a lot of times people think they're in love, but really it's just attachment and addictive clinging. It's not even love. But what does it truly mean to let go of attachment and desiring? Like, how do you even let go of the stuff that you want? Like, so Eckhart Tolle says, how do you let go of attachment to things? Don't even try. It's impossible. Attachment to things drops away by itself when you no longer seek to find yourself in them. Wow. Here's another quote that I just found. As soon as extreme attachment comes, a man loses himself. He is no more a master of himself. He is a slave. So excessive attachment to anything in life makes you mentally enslaved. So Swami Vivekananda said, work, be unattached. That is the whole secret. If you get attached, you become miserable. And I can kind of relate to that as an anxious avoidant or anxious preoccupied attachment style. Starseed, HSF, highly sensitive, acquired empath. Yeah, I can relate. It's almost to the point where I feel better just being single because I'm not able to detach once I get into a relationship. I mean, I can detach, but if the person is a narcissist, they do things to... to mess with your head so the practice of non-attachment accepting what comes and allowing it to leave when it's time what's for me will be for me effortlessly okay so this thing there's this thing called attachment theory and it's the single largest predictor of success in your relationships whether they're romantic familial or platonic and the four types of attachment styles come with different characteristics there is fearful avoidant anxious preoccupied dismissive avoidant and secure like so mostly nobody's secure (laughs) but that's besides the point i just took the quiz i got fearful avoidant 31%, anxious, preoccupied, 23%, dismissive, avoidant, 23%, and secure, 23%. So I'm I'm like all of them, but mostly fearful, avoidant. So fearful, avoidant, do you often flip-flop between hot and cold, sometimes confused about how you feel towards your loved ones? (sighs) No, I don't know. Yes, actually. Okay. And then 23% anxious, preoccupied. Do you feel afraid of your loved ones pulling away and constantly seek more closeness in your relationships? No. Okay. Dismissive avoidant, 23%. Do you find yourself fearing being pressured in your relationships while often craving independence and freedom? Yes. I want your soul, but I want you to also leave me alone. God. And then... 23% secure. Do you find you can effectively communicate and feel vulnerable in your relationships? I mean, so I'm not that like, I'm at least 23% secure, you know? 
Anyway, this test is at personaldevelopmentschool.com. So if you want to take your own test, I, re- I, you know, I think you should do that so you can have a breakthrough in your relationships. But what I really want to discuss, though, is how attachment leads to suffering. But I would be remiss if I left out the attachment styles in relationships because that kind of plays a part in this. Because how you attach to relationships is probably how you were attached to your goals and to the things that you desire as well which is for me I'm seeing a lot of resistance here fearful fear what do we talk about in the um the episode before this one we talked about the emotional guidance skill and the word fearful is very low vibration anxious is low dismissive all this shit is low vibe so I got some work to do and guess what Socrates says an unexamined life is not worth living. That is why I'm constantly examining my behavior, trying to get better. So, okay. According to Buddhism, suffering arises from attachment to desires. These desires can vary from material objects, sensual pleasures, or even your own relationships as we discussed before with the relationship attachment quiz. Now, the reason desiring causes suffering is because attachments are transient and loss is inevitable. So Buddhism says that the only constant in the universe is change, which also Bashar says this, but uh by desiring you are trying to control and make something fixed suffering will follow because you're going against the forces of the universe which is what causes anxiety depression and negative emotions so suffering ceases when attachment to desire ceases and to end suffering is when the mind experiences freedom from attachment it's letting go of any craving or desiring this state of enlightenment is called nirvana which means freedom from all worries anxieties and troubles and they say that it isn't comprehensible for those who have not attained it so how do you eliminate desire Well, it's important to remember that it is impossible to eliminate desire completely. In fact, most people that embark on this journey face the obvious dilemma that when you try to eliminate desiring, you are desiring not to desire and that is resistance and it's like a cycle of bad, just resistance. So... In order to end suffering, Buddhists say that we must follow the eightfold path. This liberation from suffering is what many people mean when they use the word enlightenment, which is the highest vibration at level 700. Woo! Boy, if I could get to that level 700. And also, let me add that when you're at level 700, you can manifest instantly. Anything you want, it'll come to you instantly. You essentially become a god and when you get to that point you kind of don't even want anything i know this sounds a little bit selfish but i kind of wonder like should i get to that point because i kind of still want stuff in the third dimension but anyway getting back to the eighth fold path so there are eight attitudes or paths you must follow to find freedom from suffering right view one one is right view right intention right speech right action right livelihood right effort right mindfulness and right concentration that's a lot of pat like that's you mean to tell me i got to do eight i got to fix my personality eight in eight different (laughs) ways eight different areas so i gotta make sure i'm speaking right i have the right intention the right viewpoint i gotta take the positive actions i gotta have the right livelihood the right effort the right mindfulness and the right concentration lord All right, so 
There's an article on Tiny Buddha on six ways to decrease suffering. And so one, let go of creating stories, which is don't assign meaning. When we experience suffering, we tend to create stories about what happens. For example, when we face the end of a relationship, we tell ourselves things like, I'll never find someone this good again. I I have done that before, but it, it, it ain't true. I know it ain't true. And there is no way out of our suffering. However, this simply just adds layers of meaning that do not exist within the original feeling. Instead, why don't you practice positive self-talk and living in the moment? You know, things aren't as bad as you think it is. And, you know, reality exists only in each moment. You know, what is now? That's Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of now. All right, number two, embrace change. Buddhism says that the only law in the universe is change. Wow, Bashar says the same thing. I guess he's a Buddhist, the alien. I guess he's also Buddhist. But keep in mind that all feelings, whether negative or positive, will change. And this will give you hope during the bad times. And, oh, you know what? One time I was at the library at Fort Valley State University and Mr. Frank, he works in the library. And Mr. Frank said, because I was just tripping. I was like, oh, God, I have this paper. And he was just like, this too shall pass. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And just that thought shifted my whole vibration. And I was like, I was okay after that. I was like, you know what? This shit is like, so temporary it's gonna be over soon so who cares let me just write this paper so anyway those those type thoughts make you realize to enjoy every moment you can because they don't last forever even the good you know the good stuff too so number three smile even if you don't feel like it so ta naha i'm totally saying this guy's name wrong but he has a quote and he says sometimes your joy is the source of your smile But sometimes your smile can be the source of your joy. Now, this is a wonderful reminder that we have more power to change our mood than we realize. Something as simple as finding the smile that is inside of us, even when life hurts, can help us access that deep well of joy. And it may feel forced at first, but watch what happens to your state of mind when you practice smiling. And notice how people react differently to you when you smile at them. This kind of positive feedback loop can make a big, big difference in overcoming your own suffering rather than being entrenched in it. I find this to be true. Sometimes you just have to decide. And I know that I was in a bad mood recently and I just decided like, no, no, no more. No, I just decided. I refuse. You know, what's so funny when you decide there's some serious power behind deciding like deciding is a huge manifestation hack. Like, okay, yesterday the police stopped me and I was like, oh, no. Hell no, I I decided he wasn't finna give me no ticket. So he stopped me or whatever. And I was just like, sir, no. He was like, you're going 50 in a 35. I was like, okay. I was like, but what we're not going to do is you're going to give me a warning and I would like to go because it's Christmas. And he was like, all right. I was like, bro, but we, I knew I was not finna get no ticket. I just, I was like, look, bro, what you not finna do is give me no ticket. I promise you that. Like, I just knew I was just decided that he wasn't going to do that. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't handle that at that time. And so I decided to make an executive decision in my reality. I really was like, no, not today, kid, not today. And, and it has nothing to do with smiling. But what I'm saying is smiling is a form of deciding to be happy, regardless of the situation, 
And there's very high vibration behind that. So anyway, number four, jolt yourself out of your usual routine. So sometimes suffering comes about because we've ground ourselves down into a rut, but we obsess over our loss and cannot seem to think of anything else. So at times like these, it helps to give our psyche and soul a jumpstart by doing something we didn't normally do. So maybe it's time to actually take that trip to Europe that you dreamed of, or maybe it's time to register for that yoga class that you've been considering. And maybe it's time to say a kind word to a stranger. Look, I do all these. And it's so crazy. My brother did the same thing. Like he decided to go to Brazil and to Colombia. He just decided you know, and he had the, a blast, you know, I was very happy for him. I was very happy that, you know, he had gotten himself out of his usual routine and went and chilled in Colombia and Brazil for like a month, you know? All right. So number five, soften someone else's suffering. So when we're experiencing pain, it's easy to isolate ourselves and believe that no one has it worse than we do. But yeah, bring flowers to an elderly aunt at a nursing home or look into the eyes of a homeless person, volunteer on the children's floor of the hospital, like doing nice things for people, raise your vibration, raise your frequency and um, make you feel better about yourself. You know, so that's something. Number six, remember your basic goodness. Basic goodness is a wonderful concept that comes from the Shambhala Buddhist tradition. And it reminds us that no matter how chaotic or negative the circumstances of our life, there's a ground of basic goodness in ourselves and in the universe that we can count on. So Tibetan Buddhist teacher Chignam Trumpa Rinpoche. Uh, you know what? I'm probably saying the name completely wrong, but the point is, is that he said, if we are willing to take an unbiased look, we will find that in spite of all our problems and confusion, all of our emotional and psychological ups and downs, there's something basically good about our existence as human beings. That's a really sweet way to look at it. Cause I, I be looking at it like all humans are terrible. Like, <laughs> I guess so they, they say born into sin. Y'all sinners. Y'all born bad. You need the Jesus to make you good. But uh, <laughs> but the Buddhists say otherwise. You know, there's something basically good about our existence as human beings. And I think that's a, that's a higher vibration to, to look at it like that. Like there's something good in you, you know. And when we're in the midst of deep pain, allow yourself to touch back to this truth or at least the possibility of this truth so that you can do this in very simple ways. You know, take a walk outside and appreciate the warmth of the sun on your face. Drink a sip of cool, fresh water. Basically mindfulness and enjoying the moment that you do get. And Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about this in his book, A New Earth, when he went, he had a spiritual awakening, but also a mental breakdown at the same time. Sometimes I think spiritual awakenings are mental breakdowns. I know for me, my spiritual awakening looked like a mental breakdown. And I'm not so sure it was not a mental breakdown. Because, but I'll get into that later. Eckhart Tolle sat on a park bench, homeless, for two years in a state of complete bliss. He was just noticing the wind and he was smiling at people. He said he couldn't stop smiling at people. And his family was like, oh my God, he has gone crazy. Like his name is not even Eckhart Tolle. He named himself that after his favorite writer, a guy named Eckhart. I don't know what the book is, but yeah. So Eckhart had a serious spiritual awakening. This dude was about to commit suicide and he, uh, he went crazy. He sat on a park bench literally for two years and he note he something hit him as he was about to kill himself. He said that he was in his mind saying, I cannot live with myself anymore. And he was like, wait, who is myself? What do you mean I can't live with myself any longer? And it hit him that he was not, there was somebody else inside of him that was noticing his 
thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was like, who's I? So, yeah, the I cannot live with myself any longer thought ended up being the catalyst for his spiritual awakening. And as soon as he said it, he became acutely aware of the construct of the sentence. And he realized, whoa, there are two of us, the myself that is creating all this mental suffering and the I who is observing it. And... I can't live with it anymore. And so that's in that moment, that's what caused him to wake up. And like all humans, it's not the sum total of the mind, but rather the consciousness, the awareness that observes the mind. So in this place of consciousness and presence, we disentangle from our egoic thinking mind from its incessant stories and realize that the mind is not who we are. We have a mind. We are not the mind. And so from that place, we have choice and control, not over our thoughts, not over the world around us, but about how we relate to it all. So when we're at that point of thinking, I can't live with myself any longer. What we're really saying is I can't live under the weight of all these stories, beliefs, judgments, most of which have been conditioned into me and are not actually mine to begin with. Toxic people. Toxic people that are narcissists create fake stories about you to make you hate yourself because they try to control you. And if they can't control you, they try to control how you see yourself. Newsflash. So you have low self-esteem. They're demonic. They're satanic people. They have something wrong with them. They sacrifice others for themselves because they're narcissists and they can't see themselves and they refuse to see themselves and they refuse to do the self-work. So they project everything onto you. But I digress because in truth, those thoughts are completely misaligned with who you really are at the core of your being. And I guess the liberating and cool thing is that we don't have to continue to live under those thoughts to be driven and controlled by them. And as soon as we bring mindful awareness to our inner world and watch our thoughts without being controlled by them, we've begun the process. Bit by bit, we unhook from mental suffering and return to presence, to awareness, and ultimately to peace. That's how we wake up. It's how we get out of the matrix. We wake up from the matrix. So that is the story of Eckhart Tolle's spiritual awakening. So anyway, each of these actions can help to remind you that in a multitude of ways, the universe is truly supporting you. This basic truth is deeply healing and deeply reassuring. And it's good to remember that there is self-generated suffering. There's also self-generated happiness. You have to decide. So with that said, that was a, I actually went over six ways to decrease your suffering by Maya Durr. And that's tinybuddha.com so if you want to go over that on your own feel free i've just given you the info and so that is about letting go the art of surrender you must learn to let go release the stress you were never in control anyway and i've noticed that things go much more smoothly when i give up control when i allow them to happen instead of making them happen unfortunately that shit hard <laughs> that shit is hard and it is something that you have to train yourself to do which is what where mindfulness comes in you have to just really be mindful all the time to let go remind yourself to let go I know we want to control everything but letting go makes it happen quicker it's the key to manifestation the key to quick manifestation because you want to keep your vibration as high as possible you want to get that resistance out of the way that's junk and it's it's holding you down it's weighing you down you want to get as high you want to be lifted up so kind of think about it like being light as a feather so the ancient egyptians believed that to enter your afterlife your heart had to be light as a feather so you have to pass 
the test of ma'at. And so if your heart was heavy, emmet would move swiftly and gobble you up. <laughs> and so also the ancient Egyptians believed that the heart was the center of the soul's memory, emotion, and thoughts. Now, as a Bantu ancient Egyptian, I can relate to this information. It, it feels very familiar to me. I don't know if it's genetic, but is your heart as light as a feather? The ancient Egyptians knew that judgmental thoughts, attitudes, and actions created a heavy heart. And they also believed that the heart was the center of the soul's memory, emotion, and thoughts. And they knew it grew heavy with negative thoughts. So as immortal beings, they knew they would need a light heart to move on to the next level of spiritual awareness. And so according to the Book of the Dead, upon the death, the heart was weighed on a scale, the scales of justice of Ma'at against the feather of Ma'at. So they believe that if the heart was heavier than the feather, it would be eaten immediately by Emmet, the devourer, a crocodile lion monster. <laughs> And once the heart was eaten, the soul would cease to exist. Thus, heaviness of the heart was greatly feared. So good deeds and positive thoughts kept their heart light and the soul alive. And there's the 42 laws of Ma'at that I talk about in previous episodes, which I love. I love the 42 laws of Ma'at. So in order to ensure a light heart, ancient Egyptians often visualized their heart on a scale with a feather always in balance. That's beautiful. And the picture was painted on tombs to guarantee their soul's survival. They also used a protective scarab beetle amulet inscribed with a prayer asking the heart to not betray any heaviness to the keeper of balance. That's deep. And you know you become more clairvoyant the more you release judgment. Like I said, non-judgment, non-attachment, and non-resistance. Those are the three keys to enlightenment according to Eckhart Tolle and Buddhism. So when you're in judgment, it takes away your ability to see others clearly and to have compassion. Each soul is on an evolutionary journey. And by the way, the Bible, Matthew, Jesus, said, do not judge or you too will be judged because you're judging yourself. When you, you're, it's, you're psychologically projecting your shit onto other people. And, and so that's why Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, okay, for practice now, let's do a practice. Close your eyes and visualize your heart being weighed on a scale against a feather. If it's not balanced, see the color in your heart that represents the heaviness. Create lightness in your heart with the words peace and love, forgiveness, and allow any heaviness in the form of that color to release from the heart. Now. See it balanced and notice the color of your heart at its lightest state. And think about someone and the judgments that you have about them and watch your heart respond. Watch the scales tip, sometimes a long way. See the weight as a color on your heart. That is the judgment. Now, imagine that you can erase that color off the heart with the words peace and harmony and the scales go into balance. With that color of balance, you first saw. Now you are creating a healing. Now practice saying the words such as love, peace, and harmony as you look at your heart. That's a cute little exercise. Now the universe does not allow side thoughts. Every word produces heaviness or lightness in the heart. 
Your heart is ultra sensitive and responds to every word, every single word. Fear, lack, worry, anger produce heaviness, while non-dual thoughts of love, joy, peace produce lightness. This is biblical. Like if y'all, you know, a lot of people do religion. Cool, I got that for you. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words, they shall be justified, and by thy words, thou shall be condemned. Do you get what I'm saying? So the universe does not allow side thoughts. Every word produces heaviness or lightness in the heart. Every word. You dig? Jesus said this. This is Jesus right here. And so it kind of is funny when I hear religious people say, oh, you're going to get judged. God is going to judge you when you die for that shit that you did. And I'm just like, no, God's not judging anybody. Um, I'm judging myself. You're going to be judging yourself because this is the third dimension. This is a holographic reality. This is a holographic existence 3d this is a third dimension father son holy spirit it's a triangle so this is a realm of psychological projection you're projecting your consciousness onto other people that's why jesus said my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world then my servants would be fighting so that i would not be handed over to the jews but as it is my kingdom is not of this realm because he's from the seventh or the sixth dimension but that's neither here nor there the point is he says jesus now john 5 22 says moreover the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son then jesus in john 8 15 says you judge according to the flesh i am not judging anyone john 12 47 if anyone hears my saying and does not keep them I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world so if God ain't judging the father right and Jesus ain't judging who is judging the only person that can judge you is you you understand you're going to be weighing your heart is it light as a feather or not simple as that and so with that i appreciate you guys for listening if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast please do so so you can be updated when i post new episodes and i got a lot of cool stuff coming i'm super super excited with that so as always peace love harmony i'm driving slow in the fast lane just chop a screw pop a coating i make them holler at the